You are listening to the Sungrove podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. What was Jesus's most shocking statement? Well, you're about to find out. We've been talking about family life. Uh, we're talking about uh, today divorce, adultery, remarriage, tough issues. We've talked in this series about parenting. We've talked about how to build a relationship, and we've talked about how to get over a breakup, and we've talked about this. What is the meaning of a marriage covenant, and what does that actually look like? And today, we're going to look at the most shocking statement that Jesus makes. Uh, Jesus didn't mess around. He was super direct with people. And uh, in fact, today's topic is one where I I just kind of wish we could invite Jesus up to the pulpit today, and I could go down and sit with Heather down here, and we could just sit and enjoy and listen to Jesus today. And then next week, I get up there and say, hey, did you guys like Jesus last week? And you'd be like, no, no, let's not have him back. Because Jesus is pretty direct. He's pretty shocking. He's pretty strong. That's how shocking Jesus' statement is. And let me just tell you, I'm really indebted to uh, Pastor Andy Stanley, who shaped my understanding on this passage that we'll look at in Matthew chapter 5. His work is probably some of the finest exegesis of this passage, and it brings clarity to the issue of divorce, adultery, and remarriage. And in Bible times, and after Christ ascended back up into heaven and the church started, you need to understand that a Christian marriage stood out in culture. It was way different than what the culture was used to. In fact, in that early church setting, people would look from like Romans and Greeks, they would look and they would say, those people, they just stick together, like through everything. They, they, they're just solid. They are like committed. And, and for them, the Greeks, the Romans, they, they would follow their heart. They would follow their head. They would divorce for almost any reason. And basically, they would just look at a Christian marriage and say, wow, they just stay together. And then as Rome went on, the Christianity became the national religion, the religion of the institution of Rome And when that happened, the blending of church and state, they did what we do. They began looking for loopholes. You know, you might be five or ten years into a second marriage, and you're still kind of rehearsing the statement of why you got out of your first marriage. And today, if you just take the firestorm of what Jesus has to say here, and you kind of put up with it and you endure it, I think at the end, you're going to say, if I just take that initial inferno, at the end, you'll say, this way of seeing life was worth enduring just the initial inferno of what Jesus had to say about divorce, adultery, and remarriage. And so some of you are looking at the program and you're saying, man, you know, should I have come today? Yes. Don't leave until the end. For just a few moments, we're going to set aside our personal circumstances and our emotions and our past, and we're going to look at what Jesus has to say on this subject. But his statement is so shocking that Jesus' own disciples, in Matthew 19, his own disciples hear Jesus make this statement, and they're like, if that's the way it is, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. That's how, like, blown away they were. They were just shocked by it. They're like whoa, this is deeper, stronger, longer than we thought. 
And that was their reaction. So Jesus begins to teach in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, uh, early parts of Matthew. And we'll look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. But before we get there, I want to let you know that people say, I love the Sermon on the Mount. They're like, oh, I just love Jesus' like big first sermon, his Sermon on the Mount. Most people have not ever read the entire Sermon on the Mount. If they say they love it. Because Jesus talks about all sorts of stuff in here. And some of it is easy to grasp and some of it is really tough to understand. So Jesus has been teaching. And let's talk about the context, the verses around his shocking statement. So we've got to back up a little bit to verse 27. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. So you're going, okay, it's, it's you know, one-eyed person. Then he goes, if it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And instantly people like start raising hands, hey, Jesus, I got a question. Um, I, I, really, I, I saw the movie Heaven is for Real, and I just want to know what your opinion is on that, Jesus. And like, you know, does that mean that there's a, like a, a one-eye, you know, one-handed person, you know, who gets into heaven, and I, I'm just trying to catch up. And Jesus, he didn't even stop there. He just keeps going. He says this in verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of, of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And the people are going, okay, hang, hang on, Jesus, wait, wait, time out. Hang on. I don't think you get how this works. I mean, what you just said was if a, if a man divorces his wife and she remarries, she was the innocent party, she remarries, then she becomes the victim of adultery or she becomes an adulteress. And he goes, I don't think you understand how it works. And so I got some questions, Jesus, and Jesus keeps going. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. And people are like, wait, 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 Jesus, I mean, just hang on. You went from like, you know, adultery and like lust and like cutting parts of your body off and is, I'm still got questions about that whole heaven thing. And then you started talking about, you know, divorce and adultery and what that looks like. And, and it just really was confusing to me. And, and I stopped for a minute. I just can't keep up. I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, Jesus goes back to this instruction in verse 32. He says this, he says, I tell you, if anyone divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality. Now, a lot of times people say, well, that was, it's adultery. It's adultery that does it. No, the word sexual immorality is pornea, which means any type of sexual immorality, any type of sexual perversion, any type of sexual um, gratification that's outside of marriage. It's not just intercourse with somebody outside of marriage. He's saying sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so the people are saying, wait, wait, time on, time out. If I fall in love with another woman, and I divorce my wife, and she remarries, I mean, maybe Jesus, you don't understand the terminology here. So if I divorce my wife, and she remarries, then she, it causes her to commit adultery? What? 
I mean, Jesus, maybe you don't understand how this whole thing works. Let me go back and tell you. Jesus, you're a single guy. Let me go back and tell you how this whole, you know, this whole divorce adultery thing works. And let's tell you what Moses allowed under the law. And let's walk through this. Because clearly Jesus starts teaching and people are like, this is, this is just different. I don't, I don't get it. But Jesus comes along. And he begins to unpack something that was shocking for them and maybe shocking for you and for me. Jesus is saying maybe there's something about marriage that you don't see it the way God sees it. Maybe God sees marriage a little differently than how you look at it. So these Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they come along, they want to trap Jesus with a marriage question from the Old Testament law. So they come along, and in Matthew 19, verse 3, some Pharisees bring a marriage question. They came to Jesus to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and for every reason? They say, hey, I got a question for you. Just yes or no, is it lawful? See, in that day and age, there was the original three-strike rule. You thought that came from baseball, but it didn't. And what would happen in those days is because women were seen more as a commodity, they were seen, they didn't have, they didn't have the right to vote, they, they were seen oftentimes more as property than anything else. And in that day and age, a man could divorce his wife for any and every reason. He would simply give her the three strikes rule. All he had to say was, on one extreme, he would say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And that was it. Of course, I always wonder if, like, the guy ever was like, I divorce you, I Okay, then, right? You know, like so it says, I didn't get all three. I just got your two strikes. Waiting to see. That was one extreme. They would just dismiss a person like they would dismiss a piece of property. It's not okay. The other extreme was that there would be perceived adultery or sexual immorality, and then they would want to issue a certificate of divorce. You remember that this happened with Jesus' parents, that they were betrothed, and in a Jewish culture, when you're betrothed, you are married. You have not consummated that marriage yet, but you've done everything to say, I am as equally bound in this marriage as if we had rings on our fingers, and everybody was applauding, and we, you know, live in the same house. They were betrothed, they were engaged, they were committed fully. And it was during that time that Mary becomes pregnant, and Joseph is like, hey, I'm no dummy, right? I know it wasn't me. And she's pregnant. I understand how this works, right? I'm not in the dark. So what did Joseph want to do? His plan, he was grieved, but his plan was to divorce her quietly. Why? He wanted to give her a piece of paper so she could say, listen, I, you know, he, he's released me from our agreement. Uh, will you, dad, please take me in? See, I have a piece of paper. I'm not going to be, you know, under Joseph anymore. I need to now come under your covering. And his plan was to divorce her quietly until the angel of the Lord came and revealed to Joseph that she was pregnant by God's Holy Spirit and that this baby that was inside of her was the God-man, the only one that's ever existed, fully God, fully human, in the body of Mary at this time. This very Jesus who is speaking these words to us right now, who's saying these shocking statements, is the one. And so Joseph did not divorce her, but married her, but did not consummate their marriage until after the baby was born. So these Pharisees come along to test him. And, 
and understanding those two extremes, Jesus throws back at the Pharisees. These Pharisees were like the religious leaders. They were so smart. They knew most of the Old Testament law. In fact, many of them had it memorized. So they were always looking for something to trap Jesus into the Jewish culture and the Old Testament law so that they could say the rest of what he says is totally fake. Because if we can trap him in this, and with a conflict this way, then we can throw out and say to the rest of the people, look, this man's a fraud. So they come to him with this question, is it lawful? So they're appealing to the Old Testament law. And if Jesus says, yes, it's lawful, then they'll be like, oh, you're in favor of divorce. If they say, no, it's not lawful, then they'll say, well, Moses said it was lawful. Who are you, better than Moses? They're trying to trap him. And Jesus replies to them, doesn't give them a yes or no. He goes back to the scriptures, and I love what he says here. He says, haven't you read? Now, this is insulting if you're a Pharisee, because they know so much of the law. Jesus is like, haven't you read? It'd be like your son or daughter making a mistake while they're driving and being like, didn't you read the driver's manual? Didn't you take a test to get a license? Right? It's almost like that, right? So Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. We hear this. We've read it. But we are looking for a loophole. And Jesus said, listen, there's something about marriage that you don't understand. So... So let me take you back before the law, Pharisees, let me take you back pre-law, before the law to the very first marriage. Let me help you understand something about marriage that you currently don't understand. He said, the two become united and will become one flesh. If you're taking notes today, you'll realize that Jesus is saying that God creates marriage to become one. See, but, but these people and the Pharisees, they're asking, they're saying, I understand that God creates a marriage to become one. But they're asking, under what circumstances can one become two? Under what circumstances? Jesus says, time out. You don't understand even what you're asking. What God has joined together, he's saying, let no one separate. He basically says it this way. Don't attempt to un-one what God made one. Don't attempt to unone what God has put together. And you say, oh, come on, Jesus. That puts me in a hard place. Because if you say that, then I don't have a yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, but here's what she did. Or here's what he did. And you're going to say, see, look at my situation. Look at my story. Look and see how I'm justified. I mean, before, Jesus is saying, before we get to your story, before we get to your individual circumstances, before we get to where you're at, do you understand just how difficult and complicated this is? See, the Pharisees, and oftentimes us, he's saying, you're asking, is it permissible is it permissible for two who become one to somehow become two again? And Jesus is saying, I'm not sure it's even possible. I 
And so he says, that's why if a man divorces his wife and she marries someone else, she becomes an adulteress. In other words, he's saying, Pharisees, you may have recognized the divorce, but maybe your heavenly father did not. Maybe you gave a piece of paper, but maybe your father in heaven didn't recognize that. And the disciples hear this and they say, if that's the way it's going to be, maybe it's better not to get married. And the Pharisees come back and say, well, then why then? Why did Moses allow for people in, while they were in the early Israelite tribe moving out in the desert, why did Moses allow them to get a certificate of divorce? Matthew 19, 9, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Why? Because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way, listen, from the beginning. In other words, Moses may have allowed it. He permitted it because your hearts were hard. But that's not the way that God set it up in the beginning. Moses permitted you to do that because your hearts were hard. Well, let's understand that. See, the men in that history would kick their wives out for any reason. Oh, you burned the toast. You're gone. Oh, I don't like that dress today. You're gone. Whatever. They, just, they would just dismiss or they'd get other wives. There's a lot of things going on. And Moses looked at them and said, listen, your hearts are hard. You keep dismissing your wives and she is without protection. So we need to issue a certificate of divorce so that she can take that piece of paper and please say, please, dad, mom, would you let me back in under your umbrella, under your care? See, I have a certificate of divorce. I'm not an adulteress. Please don't accuse me wrongly of adultery and take me out and take rocks and pick them up and throw them at me until I'm dead. That's what the law would instruct them to do. But she would say, look, I have a certificate of divorce. So please, brother, take me in. Please let me get a job because I have a certificate of divorce and I cannot falsely be accused of adultery. So Jesus is saying, you may think that you've unwound this one, but God doesn't think that. The disciples say, wow, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Now, Jesus is not picking on divorced people. If you're sitting here today and you're going, oh, great, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't have come. He is not picking in any way on divorced people. Do you remember the woman caught in adultery? I mean, here's a woman who was caught in adultery. Where's the man? Hey, patriarchal society, they probably let him run away or whatever, but they, what do they do? They bring the woman who was caught in adultery and they bring her right to Jesus. And they all pick up stones to stone her and try and trap him. And Jesus begins to write in the sand, and one by one, all those accusers drop their rock, and they walk away, and Jesus looks up at the woman. It's just her and him now, and he says, where are all the ones who have condemned you? She says, they're all gone. Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus is not picking on divorced people today. If Jesus was right here with you, he's looking you in the eye and he's saying, I love you so much that I died for you. Aren't you glad that I'm here? I'm not mad at you. You didn't know all this about marriage. I've just got to take you back to square one. To the woman caught in adultery, 
They said, that was a bad thing to do. Don't do that anymore. You need to understand what marriage is all about. To the woman at the well, who had been with all these different guys, had been married multiple times, and then in fact was living with a guy she wasn't married to, Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. He's saying to her, I know all about you. I know all about your story. I know all about your history. In fact, I probably know it better than you know it. And I know all the motivation in your heart, why you keep running around looking for a savior in a pair of jeans. But he's saying, I'm the true Messiah. You need to understand the importance of what God makes one. Why? Because marriage results in oneness. We take two who are individuals and they become one. We talked about that in the marriage covenant part, that God takes two and he brings them together under a covenant relationship. They become one. And Jesus is saying you can't un-one what God made one. See, those of you who are in a second marriage, you know this to be true. But you just didn't know the terminology You thought, I'm moving on, I'm free and clear, this new relationship is going to be so much different, so much better, that's all behind me. And then what happens? All this stuff keeps showing up from the first marriage. You're like, ah, this should be behind me, I've moved on, but all this stuff keeps coming up and you're like, it shouldn't be this way. And you get frustrated and you get angry and you start to blame. It was, you know, it's her fault, it's his fault, it's it's my ex-wife's fault, it's my ex-husband's fault, whatever it is. Or stuff keeps coming up from her previous marriage. And you're finding out that that piece of paper you have didn't make it go away. Legally, it was recognized. But you're finding out this is a lot harder than you think. Piece of paper didn't make it go away, did it? Jesus says, I know. I know it didn't. You've tried a loophole, but it can't be that way. Some of you are saying, well, Jesus, what about, what about a situation where, like, a woman is being absolutely abused or a man's being abused or there's this ongoing, just dangerous situation where literally if you were to save that person, it, it might be your life. And God's saying, you don't sit in an abused situation. You separate. You get distance. You get counsel. You get help. You begin to walk through that. But you get out of that situation. You don't expect them to be a puppy dog because God says stay together. You back away and you begin to get counsel. You begin to get help. You don't stay in that dangerous situation. Some people read these words to Jesus and they're saying, wait, wait, so this is the way it is. If this is how God sees marriage, am I living in a perpetual state of adultery? What if I married a divorced woman? Am I now living, are we living in a perpetual state of adorsory? And what does that say about our kids? I mean, don't even go there. Jesus is saying the act of marriage would be adultery. But I don't think he's saying you live in an ongoing perpetual state of adultery. And some people come in and say, Pastor Dave, I'm new to the church, and I just need to know where do I stand with the church because I'm a divorced person. And I would look at the context of Scripture, and I would say, You stand right here with all the rest of us adulterers. Stand right here with all of us. Why? Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, But I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
I mean, looked at a woman lustfully, 99% of us in this room would be guilty of adultery. 99%. And so we would acknowledge, God, there is a gap here. There's been a wrong. There's been sin involved here. And God, I need you to fill the gap. And that's what he does, doesn't he? Isn't that what God does all along? I got to tell you something. Where do you stand with the church? If Jesus doesn't condemn you, then the church doesn't condemn you. And any church that does isn't the church because the church that follows Jesus is the church that's following the, the very God who stood on the cross and he, he was hung there next to a thief, two thieves who were each convicted of lots of wrong stuff that they've done. And Jesus, having lived a perfect life, literally hanging on the cross between these two. And one of the thieves looked over and says, Jesus, I, I can't make it right. I can't perform. I, can, I don't have any time to turn my life around because I'm dying. I will die today. He's basically God, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says to this thief who has no chance on his own to turn his life around, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the same Jesus who delivered this statement. It's the same Jesus who says of his, those who were killing him, Father, you forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's showing a forgiveness. He's not going to rise from the dead and be really bitter against the people who killed him. Some of you have risen into a new marriage or a new relationship, but you're still persecuting those who persecuted you. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be free of that. I want those hooks and things. I want you to be free. What do I do with this? Maybe you're divorced and you're freshly dating someone. And you're like, oh, wow, wish I didn't bring her to church today. What do I do with this? Well, listen, this is, this is me as a pastor who loves you and has sat down with people at a lot of phases in all sorts of different seasons of relationship. If I were sitting down and talking to you across the table, I would say, listen, listen, take a deep breath. Everybody do that for a minute. Just let that thing out. If I were sitting down across the table with you, I'd say, take a deep breath. Regardless of your story, we've all got a story. I always find that there's his side, her side, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. We've all got a story. I say regardless of the story, regardless of your personal circumstances, regardless of what you're going through right now, regardless of what he did or she did or what those kids did, regardless of all that, there are three things you need to do. You need to embrace and confess and ask. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, you'd say to Jesus, you need to get alone with the Lord and you need to say, God, I embrace what you say about marriage. Not what culture says, not what my divorce counselor says, not what my paid counselor says necessarily, especially if it's non-Christian counseling, not what my parents say, not what my best friends say, but God, I'm going to embrace your picture, what you say about marriage from the beginning that you created marriage for one man to one woman for life. And even though I cannot unscramble what's already been messed up and scrambled up, I'm not going to avoid or dodge what I know now to be true. I accept that. It's just like when you became a Christian, right? You come to God and you say, God, 
I admit that I am not a mistaker. I am a sinner. Right? We're not mistakers. We are sinners. And I admit that there is a gap between me and you. And no amount of performance can space that gap. So God, I can't fix it. But I believe you love me enough to leave the holiness and the righteousness of heaven. Come live a righteous, holy, perfect life on earth. Die for my sin. Pay that penalty. And you ascend it back up into heaven. And you say, God, there is a gap that I cannot fill. I can't run and jump across the Grand Canyon. My gap is bigger than that, God. And God says, I filled the gap on the cross. I spanned the whole thing. And I'm the bridge by which you're saved. There's a gap. And God fills it. So you come to God and you say, God, I need marriage grace. And the only way to get that is to embrace and admit to him that what he says is right about marriage. Secondly, I confess. I confess. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and forgives us our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And some of you are going to confess. You can say, God, I, I didn't know better. I, w- I was young. I didn't know the scriptures. I wasn't a believer. I, I didn't know better. But let me meddle for a minute. Some of you did know better, and you did it anyway. You knew better. Somebody came along. Your, your a parent came along. You, you talked to a pastor. You went and got counsel from somebody. You talked to some friends, and they were honest with you, and they told you. And you said, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to work it all out on the other side because it's just too difficult where I am right now. And let me tell you, it has been hell for you. And you have blamed yourself, and you've blamed her, and you've blamed her kids and your kids, and you have never looked in the mirror and said, God, forgive me. I knew better, but I did it anyway. You blamed everybody else. You've never owned your own part. And because you've never owned your own part, you've never known grace. You haven't known the help of God in your current circumstance. So confess it and own it. Then you go to your spouse and you say, you know this angst that we're having? You know this mm, that we just can't get beyond? You know all this stuff that's going on? It's my fault. I knew better, and I did it anyway, and I'm going to own my part, and I'm going to own our part. And from here on out, I am listening to God's Holy Spirit, and I'm asking God to help me love you the way that God loves me. So first of all, you embrace what God says about marriage. Second of all, you confess your part in it. You listen to God's Holy Spirit, and if you want grace, if you want his grace in your current situation, single or married, You've got to confess it. And then third, I ask for marriage grace. You say, what is that? I don't know. I just made it up. You ask for marriage grace. Well, what's grace? Again, grace is when there's a gap, right? Whenever there's a gap that God comes along to fill the gap. It happens when we were, you know, non-Christians and we came to faith in Christ that he filled the gap. He spanned it by his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus now looks and you say, God, there's a gap. I can't unscramble what's already been scrambled up. There's a gap. And I know that there's a gap because a lot of you, you'll realize you're in a new marriage, but you know there's a gap. There's ghosts from your past. There's transparency issues. There's intimacy issues. And you're saying to yourself, what is the problem? Why is this so hard again? Because there's a gap. But God's grace fills in the gap. 
We need grace. Will God answer that kind of prayer when you ask him, God, give me grace for marriage where I am right now. Will God answer that kind of prayer? Yes. That's the whole point of the rest of the New Testament. That when there's a gap, God comes and fills it. That we are the bride of Christ. That we come before him and we say, God, here's my part in the equation and look what you came to fill and now I'm saved and in a relationship with you. And then we say, God, here's where I've scrambled up life and I've messed it up and there's a gap and I can't fix it. And God, please help me now to have the capacity to live like you want me to now. And God's grace fills the gap. Maybe you're divorced and you're currently single. And you're like, woo, I should have gotten married before hearing this sermon. Well, you need sustaining grace. What do I mean by that? You come and say, God, I, I don't know how to be content just being single. I don't know what to do being single again. And maybe it was my fault, maybe it was his fault or her fault, and, but regardless, here's where I am right now. And God, I need to learn how to be content being with you. That you are my spouse and that you take three, four, five years and learn how to be content without having to reach for another relationship. Then in the future, if you choose to get remarried, you're going to do so from a healthier and better place so you're not finding yourself repeating the sins of the past. Let's back up for just a minute. I want you to back up just a minute from your, your current circumstances, your own personal stuff. I know how emotions work, and sometimes they come up, and it's so hard for us to begin to hear what Jesus is saying because we just our own stuff just floods in the way, and it gets really tough. But I want us to just take a deep breath and just back up from our own personal circumstances for a minute because I believe right now I want to talk to those who are single. I want to talk to those who are young adults. I want to talk to those who are college students. I want to talk to those who are high school students. And I want to talk to those of you who are parents because we have a choice in how we message marriage. And could you imagine for just a minute, for high school students and college students and singles, could you imagine how amazing it would be if this generation would take the teachings of Jesus and say, this is what marriage is. I mean, can you imagine the kind of decisions that they would make? so much more solid. Could you imagine if we message to the future generations what marriage really is? I mean, maybe by God's grace, there could be a whole generation of people who would go deeper and longer than a license and a honeymoon. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe this generation will rise up and say, I believe that marriage should be the safest place, the safest place for a woman that I believe that marriage should be the safest place for children, that sex is about oneness and covenant, and that marriage is not all about me. In the beginning, this is how it was. That rings true, doesn't it? In our hearts. Because some of you are here today and you're realizing that maybe for the first time there's a gap. I've never addressed that gap. I haven't embraced God for who he is. I haven't confessed my sin. I haven't asked him to come into my life and be the Lord and Savior of my life and make me a new creation. Give me the Holy Spirit inside of me to begin to change things in me that I just can't change. And maybe today that's you and you just need, I'm gonna ask all of us to bow our heads, close our eyes, just so we're not distracting anybody around us, but thinking about your own life. 
And if today you're realizing you need Jesus, would you just pray a prayer like this after me? He hears you silently as you pray. Say, Jesus, today I say yes to you. I ask you to come into my life. Make me a new creation. I admit that I am a sinner, that you have bridged that gap through your death on the cross, that you rose to new life and that you are God in heaven. So I ask you to come in and forgive me of all my sin. And I want to walk in relationship with you. I don't even know what that all looks like. But today, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. God, we're refreshed by the truth of your word that says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I know even right around the room right now, God, people would understand that you forgive them, that you don't condemn them, but God, they are still condemning themselves. They're still punishing themselves for where they've been and what they've done. And God, I ask you to empower them right now with your love that they would let themselves off the hook, that they would drop that heavy backpack of shame and guilt that their pride makes them still carry. So God, that they would humble themselves before you and drop that at this time. We ask, God, that you would help by your Holy Spirit for those who are saved to walk as those who are free from condemnation. So God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for what you're doing among us. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, we give it up for what God's doing here. That's awesome. Great. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.